Hey guys, welcome back to Astrology and You. We are so excited that you're here for this episode. We're going to answer a ton of your Q&As or yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah, I put out a ton of yeah, a ton of your questions. I put out like a Q&A box on my Instagram like a few days ago. Um, and we got some really good questions and we've narrowed it down to eight of them. So these are the ones we thought were the best to like spend a few minutes explaining. Yeah. And so for future Q&A episodes too, if you want to just follow Alice and I on our Instagrams, we'll put it in the show notes and from time to time, we'll just ask for questions. Yeah, exactly. Um, so before we get into the episode, I guess we just wanted to talk about what's been going on the last week. Um, since we released our last podcast episode, there's been a new moon in Aquarius, which we covered in the February forecast, but like now it's actually played out. Um, did, what did you notice from that Maxine? I felt with that Saturn conjunction with it, it did feel a little heavy. Yeah, no. So the, the Aquarius new moon was dur- like about halfway through Aquarius. So it was on my mid heaven and it was in my ninth house. So it was such a literal manifestation for me because I just actually today before we were recording this podcast, I launched my written birth chart guides, which has been something I've been like, it's about writing, which is ninth house themes Mm -hmm. and also my mid heaven having to do with work. Yeah, that was so literal for you. (laughs) I was like kind of like thinking, I was like, what what is she going to launch? Like she has a new moon on her (laughs) mid heaven. That's for those listening, like when you have a new moon on like on or really close to your mid heaven line in your chart that's a great time to um, put out like a big um, project that you've been doing for work or like getting more attention for something. Yeah, exactly. So it was really interesting because I had an eclipse there several years ago and that was when I got a teaching job back in the day. So it was really mm-hmm. fun to kind of see how now I was just putting out something that I'd kind of been sitting on for so long I'd wanted to do it and then I was Mm -hmm. just like, okay, like, screw it. Let's just go for it. So it was kind of like a quick turnaround. And then I realized there was the new moon there. And like when we're recording this, we're recording this on February 2nd. The new moon was yesterday on the 1st. And like, you've already done that. And it's only like one day into the new lunar cycle. And we still have four more weeks left of it. So it's like, what else are you going to do career wise for the next (laughs) month? That'll be interesting to see like what comes up. Yeah, that's so wild because you haven't, you don't even, I, we haven't even talked about that, but you're so on, on spot, Alice. Yeah, it'll be fun. So stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what happened for you? With the new moon, I'm in Aquarius sun, but Aquarius isn't a career house for me. It's my seventh house of relationships, but I act because my son's there and it's my chart ruler. I launched my first ever newsletter and like, that doesn't sound that significant. Like it's just an email getting sent out, but through writing that newsletter, I really realized like, whoa, like this is what I want to do more of. So it wasn't really like the launching and sending out of the email on the new moon that was important to me. It was more like, okay, like this is what I should be doing more of work-wise, like an important self-realization because it was on the my son and my chart ruler. Mm, and it's probably like more expressive as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and... That's so interesting that it had to do with a newsletter too, because I feel like just the way that you write always feels like it's just you and the person who's reading it, like very one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. 
Yeah, it was so much fun to write. So I'm excited to keep doing that. And of course, we'll put show notes to like everything we're talking about. Um, Yeah, we'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah, and we are so grateful for everyone who has signed up for our newsletters. Like I just, that's come to be one of my favorite things too, which is funny. Hasn't even been that long. Yeah, so definitely get on that if you're listening. Um, Also, like with that Saturn conjunction to the new moon, it was a lot about setting boundaries. Like I know you were telling me something about setting Mm -hmm. boundaries. I forget the exact story, but then like I had to, with a brand, they were like trying to underpay me for like a ton of work. And I had to keep saying like, no, like no, 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 no like multiple times and kind of be my own manager because I don't have anyone that handles that like back and forth for me. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like a good lesson in like establishing a boundary with someone. Yeah. And I bet a ton of people have been feeling that because that new moon was conjunct Saturn. So Saturn is all about boundaries and new moon is like, how can I create more structure, more routine, boundaries, discipline, all of those things. Yeah, exactly. But that's all that's been going on. Yes. Okay. So let's, (laughs) not really much more to say there. Um, But yeah. And so let's get into this podcast Q&A. We had so many good questions. I'm so excited for this. Yes. Okay. So starting with the first question, um, the person asks, I've been studying astrology for a little less than a year now. What's a good way to promote that I'm doing birth chart readings to my Instagram followers? Love that. This question is so close to my heart. (laughs) I love that so much. Um, Yeah, yeah, Alice, do you want to like give your perspective first? Yeah, I mean, I could just give how I started doing it because Instagram Mm -hmm. is really how I like jump started my business. It wasn't anything else. Um, I didn't really, I think first I started like posting astrology content and I was getting like a lot of feedback and so then I just made a slide like really casual it was like hey like if you want me to give you a reading over dm um at that point I had only been studying astrology for like four months so I wasn't mm-hmm. probably like not as good as someone that was doing it like for a year so it was like very casual like yes I want more practice um send me your birth info over DM and I will do a little chart reading. I would like type out really long responses like you, oh, you have this planet in this house and this sign. It was kind of a lot of work, but like I was so obsessed with astrology that early on that it was like fun work for me to like write these really long DM responses to people about their birth chart and get their feedback on it. Oh, I And love then that. from there, yeah. So, and then from there it was like so much um, engagement more so than I had ever gotten on Instagram. Like, it was a hundred or so people wanting a birth chart reading. And I didn't have like, I only had like a couple thousand followers at that point. Um, And yeah, that's when I decided, okay, let's launch a website and actually like sell readings from there. So it started Mm -hmm. casual on Instagram and then became more formal with a website and like um, scheduled reading times. And you had had a fashion blog as well. So you did have like a a little following, which was helpful, but it was cool to see how people were so receptive to astrology. Yeah, it was like I had tried to like, um, so embarrassing to say, but like be like a blogger, like a fashion blogger. That was like my goal in college. I I know. I just like feel like it gets a bad rep sometimes, but um, totally (laughs) like and that had never grown into anything. Like it had never taken hold. I wasn't finding a ton of success with it. Um, and kind of just like losing momentum. I wasn't consistent with posting on my fashion blog. And then when I found astrology and started posting more about that and making people 
um, not making people, but like showing people that I was really interested in it. Like that's when Mm -hmm. I noticed my brand started to grow a lot more. Mm, That's so cool. And it's such a good example of how sometimes when you're going for one thing that like you could have been so fixated. No, I want to be a fashion blogger and it's not working. So I'll just give up. But like instead you backtracked and we're like, oh, now I'm interested in this. How can I integrate that? You know, and kind of seeing how people respond. So that's a great example. Yeah. And some people will say like, oh, I've been following you like since before you did astrology. And it's like, I do feel like sometimes when creators um, kind of pivot that strongly, it's, it's hard to do because it feels like the following loses touch with who the person is. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so it takes a lot. I don't know. It takes courage to do that. Yeah. What about you? I know you kind of started on Instagram too. Yeah, I started on Instagram too. It's kind of funny because um, obviously like you never know behind the scenes, but it's so funny, Alice, because I feel like I was so, I had a private Instagram account because I was <laughs> like, I don't want anyone having my videos or like pictures who don't know me. Um, super 12th house Scorpio moon and such. But um, yeah, anyway. I feel like you had the biggest transformation <laughs> with like not wanting anyone to see your face, not posing anything astrology related yeah. to being like, wait, I have to do this for people to know. Yeah, no, totally. And so I had had a super, I mean, like I had an account with only a couple hundred followers who were all my like friends or acquaintances or people who, you know, you like pick up in life. And, and then I started sharing stuff about just like positive, I don't know, empowering quotes and things like that. Or do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. (laughs) I feel like that was like 2018, like four years ago that you were doing that a lot. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And so I started doing that and I got close to like having a thousand followers or something. I thought that was so crazy because I was like, wow, you really can just put yourself out there. And once you get past the first hurdle of feeling embarrassed of what are people going to think or whatever, you just really start to not care at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I feel like the more you post, the less you care. Yeah, totally. And so basically once I got into astrology and I just weaved that into what I was already posting about I don't know, just different quotes and different thoughts or, you know, uplifting things. I found it so much fun. And I just was like, I just need to keep sharing about this mm-hmm. more. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, and that's, that's where we are today, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Also, I guess it is hard on Instagram because like people I went to high school with follow me. Like that was, I was not into astrology in high school. Like I'm completely different. So sometimes it's like awkward. It's like, oh my God, these people are looking at my content. This is so awkward. Um, So I would say pro tip is just not look at, don't look at who looks at your stories. I never look at who watches my stories. I just don't look at it. And that like just makes it so much easier to like put yourself out there. Yeah. So if you're wondering if you're starting out, that's such a good point, Alice. Just allowing yourself to know that you're doing it for yourself in a way, but also for those people who it will resonate with and thinking you're going to help those people. And Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter what other people think. You're just doing it for those people who will, you know, want that guidance or want to have that person to help learn about their birth chart or astrology or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. But yeah, definitely just, I would say don't like force it to be perfect. Like it doesn't have to be this perfect thing that you launch. Like yeah. it could just be little by little, like, hey, I'm interested in astrology. Right. Um, who would like a reading with me? Yeah. So just it's that whole idea, like no one will know you're offering like astrology services unless you share about it. So mm-hmm. I think just 
trying to do that regularly so people know. Yes. Okay. So I I do want to add though, Alice, as well here. (laughs) Um, That said, if you ever get a DM from someone who has a different username than Alice and I asking for a read from you, (laughs) like we don't fish for readings and DMs because there are like fake accounts, you know, pretending to be us. So just so you are aware. That is true. That's a good thing to address. Not totally related to this question but yeah it's good to announce because like this has been happening to so many astrologers like every single astrologer I follow has had a scammer account Mm -hmm. impersonate them multiple times um yeah DMing their followers that they're gonna give a reading they need this much money like that's always fake yes so please don't fall for that I just wanted to bring that up because we mentioned like asking for readings and dms or if Mm -hmm, they're interested mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah 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 um okay so moving on to the second question how does having a planet in a sign it rules, so for example, having Mars and Aries in your birth chart, affect that placement? Does it make that placement more intense? Yeah. So I think first we should talk about what um, ruling planets or essential dignities like that whole thing is. Um, yeah. Basically, every each of the 12 signs has a planet that rules that sign or feels at home in that sign. Yeah. So... Do you want to go, like, should I just go through that list? Yeah, let's start there. (laughs) Yeah, so for this, um, we're going to use traditional rulerships because that's, I don't know, I've just seen that be a little more effective. Um, So if we're going through the Zodiac, Mars rules Aries, Venus rules Taurus, um, Mercury rules Gemini, Moon rules Cancer, the Sun rules Leo, Mercury rules Virgo, Venus rules Libra, Mars rules Scorpio. Jupiter rules Sagittarius, Saturn rules Capricorn, Saturn also rules Aquarius, and Jupiter rules Pisces. Exactly. And so once you have written those down or you've memorized the ruling planets of each of the 12 signs, you'll notice that if you look at a birth chart or look at your own and you have those matchups, for example, like Taurus and Venus, like I have, then that is kind of in the sign that it rules. And you might notice that how it affects it is just that planet feels really comfortable in it and it can really function to its full potential. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you add to that? It's just easier to like manifest the qualities associated with that planet. So like going back to this person's example, like having Mars and Aries, or also if we had Mars and Scorpio, like Mars symbolizing kind of like confrontation, being direct, like asking for what you want, like your sexuality, um, your kind of needs, and kind of also like how much energy you're putting into things, like what makes you driven. Having Mars in a sign at rules like Aries or Scorpio may mean that it's easier to like tell someone when you're upset and like get the issue out into the open or it's easier to like ask for what you want whereas maybe someone with Mars and like a watery sign like Pisces or Cancer that's going to be a lot harder and they might be like very indirect or kind of passive and have the person playing games to like kind of figure out what's on their mind Mm. and Yeah, I love this example specifically with Mars because I have Mars in Aries, which I can say everything you said is so true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have Mars in Cancer, so it's that kind of... It's the exact opposite. I am scared to ask a stranger (laughs) to take a picture of me when I need someone to take a photo. I'll be like, no, no, you can... Like whoever I'm with, I'm like, you can do that. You can do that. Yeah, whereas I I love to do that stuff. 
Yeah. And it's weird. <laughs> like, I don't know why. <laughs> but, but yeah, Mars and Aries. I would say an easy way of thinking about it too is if you notice you have one of these planets in these corresponding signs that it rules, it's all of those qualities of that planet kind of like Alice you were getting into, but like whatever that planet represents, you just feel probably even personality-wise stronger in you is kind of a good way of thinking of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think, do I have, I don't think I have any You have Saturn and Aquarius, right? Oh, right, right, Saturn. Yeah, Saturn is really easy for me to tap into, which is why Saturn transits Mm -hmm. tend to be more constructive for me than maybe someone that isn't in touch with as in touch with their Saturn like Saturn doesn't scare me it's just like okay I love doing work I love being serious and mature yes exactly so Saturn serious mature other keywords like boundaries or creating structure in your life those things would come more easily to you by definition Mm -hmm. of this I mean if you're just looking at that in a vacuum and not Mm -hmm, at other mm -hmm. parts of your chart are your two you have Venus and Taurus and then Mars and Aries do you have any others or is that it um good question I'm thinking I'm thinking of your chart too I think that's it yeah yeah I guess I can speak a little to Venus and Taurus so Venus is a lot about obviously love and pleasures of life having Venus in Taurus too which is Taurus is more embodied you Mm -hmm. know like yeah so I just feel like Venus and Taurus for me manifest as really loving comfort and loving just not changing (laughs) it's easier for you to like um find like pleasure activities and like I don't know find ways to relax or like um be kind to yourself like those Venusian um Mm. traits yeah and I would say it definitely can manifest physically too like I will spend so much more money on something that is comfortable Mm-hmm. literally a blanket <laughs> versus mm-hmm. you know other things so I think that is the Venus money quality in Taurus yeah um but it can be aesthetics but it also could be justice or more mental kind of aspects of the Venus part yeah or like partnerships come easily because it's easy to like establish balance with someone and um, mm-hmm. compromise yeah and yeah so it's just kind of different things and without getting too much into it I think that kind of gives a taste of it yes okay do you want to do the next question yes so next question number three why is your chart ruler important in predicting events with transits and I'm so happy we did this right after we just talked about which planet rules each sign because now you can go back and listen if you don't already know this for your chart ruler yeah so your chart ruler is the planet that rules your rising sign or your ascendant so like all those signs we just listed in their ruler like if you're a gemini rising mercury is your chart ruler and it's really important in this question we're looking at like okay what happens when um, a planet currently in the sky transits over the mercury in your chart that's going to be like very much more intensely felt than just like if if you weren't a gemini or a virgo rising and mercury wasn't the ruler of your chart Yeah, exactly. Because basically the AC or the ascendant in your birth chart is that point in your chart where it's one degree when planets pass over it, you'll notice it more strongly or more obviously in your life because the AC is just, I would argue, maybe the most sensitive part of your whole birth chart. You just notice it more. Yeah, it's like you. It's like your sense of self, who you are, like how other people see you too. So wherever that planet the rolling planet's place kind of taints like um, your personal interests, like how you think of yourself. And so when there's transits to 
like just an example, like I'm a Leo rising. So sun is the ruler of Leo. So my son's an Aquarius. So any planets through Aquarius contacting that sun kind of function similarly to having a transit over my ascendant line in that, like, it's not only a transit to the sun, which is also pretty important, but it's like, how is this affecting like my whole direction, like my sense of self and like kind of going back to that new moon example, like launching a newsletter and realizing I had this whole other like interest of freeform writing and like, um, really like wanting to pursue like doing a newsletter more that Mm -hmm. it becomes more important because it's like not only the sun is the chart ruler Mm, yeah and it also just I I kind of like to think about it as wherever that ruling planet is of your ascendant is kind of it's more sensitive in the sense of like it can feel transits even when they're further away which you kind of touched on there yeah yeah yeah, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor (laughs) (laughs) it could also like thinking of like how it's the rule of your chart like also it could play into like your appearance and like how you want to present yourself to the world so like normally you would not associate that with like um I'm trying to think of like a good like an eclipse happening close to your mercury and your Gemini rising like normally you wouldn't be like yeah mercury's like all about um dressing differently or getting like a drastic like um style transformation or like presenting mm-hmm. yourself differently but that could happen if mercury's your chart ruler and there's an eclipse taking place there oh my gosh that's so interesting I'm trying to think back to the exact eclipse but I remember when I had eclipses in my chart ruler okay mercury. wait I, I have a good example Oh, for that for, for you. So when eclipses were in Aries, <laughs> when me. eclipses were in Aries and Libra and Mercury, your chart ruler is in Aries. That was when you had this whole eye-opening new experience of going to Switzerland and then transferring there and having the rest of college there. Like that was like a whole shift in like how you viewed the world and like what you were interested in. And that was right when eclipses had started up in Aries, right probably close to your Mercury. Mm, that's so interesting. I was, yeah, that's so funny you said that because I was thinking of that same time too. And it was shortly after going to Switzerland. I got super into feminism. Do you remember Mm -hmm. this? No. (laughs) Okay, well, maybe it was like at the tail end of it with the last of the eclipses. But I got super into feminism and I was like, like, I don't need to wear a bra. I don't need to wear makeup. I don't have to dye my hair. (laughs) Like, That's really interesting. Yeah, but I think it was more than that. It was more so just reflecting on the gender norms that I maybe just didn't ever take as an option. It was always kind of just something I assumed with my appearance or my identity. And then when I had my chart ruler transited with those eclipses, that was when I kind of just rethought how I wanted to present myself to the world. So kind of an obvious example. I liked how you mentioned like identity. I think that's the key takeaway from this is like predicting events of transits to your chart ruler. It's like a transit to your chart ruler is going to alter kind of like how you think of yourself and like what your identity is. Totally. Yes. And you've had that with Saturn to your son. Yeah. I, um, Saturn to my son, I stopped drinking and like being sober became part of my identity. Ooh, yes. And that's, that's such beautiful. a Saturn. It Again, it's like blending the transit with the chart ruler. So like Jupiter going over my sun, like that's not going to make me get sober. But Saturn is such like a reel it in, um, kind of like restrict certain elements or like refine your identity. And it's like, you know what? And like also Saturn's all about like cutting out 
stuff that's not serving you anymore. And like Mm -hmm. with that, it was like, you know what? Alcohol is not serving me anymore. This is not getting me anywhere. So it was about like really refining like my sense of self. Mm, Yeah. And another just tie in with that too is because your chart ruler is always the ruling planet of your first house, which has to do with your appearance, but also literally your body in -hmm. your health in that way. Sometimes it can correspond Mm. with changes like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I definitely huge diet changes when Saturn was on the sun too. Which I feel like was your identity right before, you know. That's so true. Like I prided myself on like eating like a five-year-old boy. And now it's like, why (laughs) was I priding myself on that? That was so bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. And I was just realizing, I I mean, I was vegetarian, almost vegan before that. But when those eclipses happened, we just talked about with my chart ruler, that was a huge shift in having to be vegan. That's really interesting. Not being able to eat dairy. So that's interesting. Anyway. (laughs) Yes. I feel like that's enough on that. (laughs) So that is why your chart ruler is important. Exactly. Yeah. It's very important with transits. Um, Okay. So moving on to the next one, we have if Chiron is in the fourth or fifth house, should we refrain from starting a family? Um, our short answer is no, but we'll get into why. So do you want to just like go over like, what does Chiron in the fourth and then the fifth house mean? Mm, Yeah. Okay. So Chiron, we love Chiron. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like so good. So basically in astrology to make it short, it's called the wounded healer. And it is this planetoid, which talks about your insecurities or vulnerabilities in your birth chart through no fault of your own. Mm -hmm. And usually there's this karmic aspect to it that you really, really feel this area of life and some I don't know, just uncomfortable emotions surrounding it from even like past lives if you believe in it. I feel like you feel like um, wherever Chiron's located is like where you feel like something's missing or like lacking or you're super insecure about it. Like there's deep insecurities related to it. So with the fourth house, it would be kind of like insecurities or feeling like you're lacking with family life or like the relationship you had with your parents and kind of how you viewed that. It might feel like... um, it wasn't enough and you didn't really feel appreciated by them. Um, what other meanings would you add to that? Well, I have Chiron yes. in my fourth house. <laughs> so yeah, I think spot on. And, and that is really surrounds just that insecurity coming from something almost like feeling like the odd one out or really craving belonging or being very cued into wanting to make other people feel welcome or like they belong because some place, whether it's from past lives or growing up or whatever, you may have felt that you didn't belong in some sense. So then it's kind of learning to heal actually even generational inheritances or like Mm -hmm. ancestral patterns. Yeah, like feeling like you don't belong in the family, but then that's also something fourth house is so ancestral like that. It's like stuff that isn't even in your lifetime sometimes. It's like wounds and in this case, wounds with Chiron handed down generation to generation like you were saying yeah and I mean I could go so deep here with Chiron Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but I think it really is about starting your own legacy too wherever Chiron is so for Mm -hmm. me having Chiron in the fourth house it's definitely a placement where it's a lot about wanting to really consider and be very mindful of how I go about making other people feel 
a sense of belonging or a sense of home in my presence. Um, aside from this question, which is like, if you have Chiron there, starting a family could be so healing for you. Yeah, you kind of have to lean into Chiron in your chart or else it's just going to continue to cause troubles. Like, I don't have it in either of these houses, but I have it in the first and it's like really overcoming insecurities with myself by like being open about it and finding ways to like share that with other people, which is like scary. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, in the fourth, it's like, okay, you need to start a family of your own or find some sort of community that feels like a family if you don't want to have your own family um, to heal like maybe the situation you had growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also would add, I think sometimes wherever Chiron is, people kind of back away or are fearful. And I so get it because I think if you look up wherever Chiron is, it doesn't matter what house you have it in, there will be something so negative Mm -hmm. about it on the internet. (laughs) Um, But really it shows where do you have this ability to do so much healing, not only for yourself, but especially in the fourth house, like even for your ancestors. So if you resonate with that, I think looking at wherever your Chiron is and almost leaning into that and knowing you have the ability and the agency to change that is really the higher way of looking at Chiron in the birth chart, you know? Yeah. And then touching upon, they also asked about Chiron in the fifth house. The fifth house has like several different meanings to it, but just like in the context of family, fifth house has to do with children. So having Chiron in the fifth house may mean that there's like anxiety over having children or maybe there's even some difficulty with having children like I know someone who is not able to get pregnant because of um like stuff in her reproductive system and she just cannot have kids and that's like been such a source of like pain for her and Mm -hmm. it definitely speaks to like having Chiron in the fifth like there's all this like wound and like um I don't know like sad feelings surrounding children but like she does have people in her life, like her nieces or um, stepchildren that feel like her children. So she's like healed it in a different way than having kids of her own. No, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's, that's a really, yeah, that's a good example of how it can manifest in different ways too, especially when it comes to the fifth house, which speaks of children. Sometimes that can be actually having children. Sometimes it can be being almost like a mother to other people, other friends, or it can also be a creative baby in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, to sum up like our answer to this question, you should probably lean into starting a family if that's like really what you're wanting. I wouldn't be like scared. I wouldn't let like fear of starting a family hold you back with this kind of Chiron placement. Yeah, if that's what you want. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, okay. I could talk for about yeah, time for yeah. hours, but I like what we said <laughs> for that question. Okay, so next up is the question. If you and your partner both have the same rising sign, that means the same transits affect you at the same time, right? And this person is correct. That's true. This will be good in some ways, like taking next steps in the relationship, but could this also be a negative thing if in the long run, when you both deal with difficult transits, it's at the same time too? Okay, how we need to like separate this into sections. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> you answered it, but yes, um, when you and your partner have the same rising sign, the transits affect you at the same time because like um, a Jupiter or a Saturn transit or whatever transit it might be, 
when it's going through like Pisces, you both will have the same house ruled by Pisces in your chart. So like Jupiter in your fifth house, Pisces, that'll be going on for both of you at the same time. So you'll have like the same growth or the same challenges in the same area during the same time frame. I said same a lot, but I don't know how else <laughs> how to phrase it. No, that's that's really a good example. Just even to super simplify, if you and your partner are both Aries risings, and let's say Jupiter, when it's in Aries, is in your first house of Aries at the same time, yeah, it's the transits will affect you similarly, like you said. But yeah, like to give another example, kind of like the same area of life will be prioritized for you both, like simultaneously, which is which can be like really good. And also, we see like couples who often if you don't have like the same rising sign as the partner, we see a lot where the rising sign is the same element. So like um, all fire sign risings will have the same workhouses in the same element too. So like both partners, like Sag rising or an Aries rising, they're both going to go through work stuff at the same time because the transits will be activating like the second or the 10th or the sixth um, for either of those people. Um, and then same for like air rising signs, like home and family or relational transits will affect both of them at the same time. Right. And this really just kind of goes back to that fundamental thing about transits, which is why your birth time is so important because it determines your first house and it determines, well, it determines your ascendant and therefore when transits affect your first house versus second and third and so on. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, it really can be beautiful if you're both experiencing, for example, going with Jupiter. Jupiter is in your seventh. You guys both really want to expand and maybe prioritize your relationship versus if maybe a Mars transit is there. When it's there, it might be more frustrating. Mm-hmm. Okay, but getting on to the second part of this person's question where they said, is it a negative thing when you both deal with difficult transits at the same time? I feel like there's two answers here. It's like, well, all couples deal with difficult transits. Like that's unavoidable. Um, so you're going to go through difficulty as a couple. But I feel like um, even if you don't have the same rising sign, there's still similar matchups in long-term couples charts that without the same rising sign, they're still going through the same difficulty at the same time, even if their chart's set up a little differently. Mm, so talk like about for that exa- more, Should yeah. I give an example? Yeah, I think so. So like, um, this is a common one with couples I have. So my moon is Pisces and my boyfriend's fourth house is Pisces and my fourth house is Scorpio and his moon is Scorpio. And there's a lot of like similarities between the fourth house and the moon. They're both related to like home and living situation and like deeper kind of like, um, more buried emotions. So transits through Pisces or Scorpio like let's say a difficult like Saturn transit comes along through Pisces it's gonna affect us both like in the same it may cause like um, more difficult emotions to come up or family stress to arise at the same time for both of us even though we don't have the same rising sign Mm, yeah that helps to explain that that way and that's a really good example of how different themes basically transits can trigger things even if you don't have the same exact rising sign so yeah And it's just like, if you're in a long-term relationship, like there are obviously chart matchups between you and the, in your partner's chart, like, or else you wouldn't be a couple. They're like, 
even if you aren't consciously <laughs> like, are we compatible? Like, um, I have to be with someone who's compatible with me. When you attract a partner and you're with them for that long, there are always matchups between your two charts. Yeah, there always is. And that's a really good reminder if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, my partner and I don't have the same element rising sign. That doesn't matter. It's just, um, you know, you always are going to have things in your chart. It kind of explains, like if you feel a connection with someone, your birth charts will always kind of show you why. But again, the attraction, if you feel it, it's there in your birth chart too. Mm -hmm. And it's also, it's not a negative thing. Going back to this person's question, when you deal with difficult trends at the same time, that's a great thing. Cause then it's like the person kind of understands what you're going through instead of them having like this amazing optimistic life while you're like dealing with depression. It's kind of like both people are understanding the weight of that situation. Yeah, I kind of can see both sides to it because it can be super positive. Sometimes it can be really hard because when you're going through your own stuff, it just can be really, you know, difficult to be there fully for Mm -hmm. the other person. And I think if you notice that you either have the exact same rising sign or the same element rising sign, it's really important to be mindful not to get into this game of comparison of like, oh, well, who's hurting more or who's more stressed, you know? So Mm -hmm. just really being mindful of how can I make sure we're both trying to show up as much as we can and you're both going through it if you're having a hard transit or you're both having a great time, you know? Mm -hmm. Just being mindful of that, I guess, can be helpful if you do have the same rising sign. Okay. Um, Moving on. Next question is, what transits are best for bringing your creative work to the public eye? For example, publishing a book or releasing an album. What houses and planets should we look to for this? Okay, love this question. So we identified a couple houses, so we're going to run through them and different themes you might notice. So for example, if you are having transits we'll get into the exact planets after but transits to the ninth house can be really great for publishing getting kind of your ability your writing specifically out into the world or feeling the confidence to teach or to put yourself out there and share I would also add like public speaking with the ninth like sharing knowledge through like um, speaking to an audience something like that Mm mm-hmm Yeah, and then the 10th house is kind of more about actually your public image. That one's literally just, it's, even when you're looking at a birth chart, these houses we're about to mention, they're all that top part of your birth chart. So that was the most visible points in the sky when you were born. So it makes sense that when you want to be more visible or put your stuff out into the world and be seen, those transits are lit up. Yeah. Those houses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like when someone launches like a big work project that they've been working on for a while, it's usually um, in one of these houses, but specifically like if it's just career oriented 10th or the midheaven line, no matter what house the midheaven line's placed in. Yeah, like I gave the example actually at the start of this, but yeah. when I just had that new moon on my midheaven, that was actually putting out a creative project. I'm trying to think of like I've done... Nothing's coming to memory or else I'd give an example too. Um, <laughs> but then before um, we started recording, you made such a good point about also transits through the 11th. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel like transits to the 11th house can bring up a lot of, if you're noticing 10th house transits, you're wondering, oh my gosh, I'm putting in so much effort, so much hard work. Where is the payoff? I feel like then once, let's say Jupiter moves into the 11th house, that is where the opportunities can roll in. You're kind of developing an audience or people are being able to see that hard work and you're kind of getting the payout long term yeah like 11th house transits are a lot about like gaining a following and like getting people like backing you or supporting you with whatever you may have launched in the 10th house um transit Mm -hmm. yeah and then specific maybe to planets I mean maybe to start with Jupiter Alice do you want to talk to that since I yeah 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 so the those are like the houses to watch out for transits through um also, I wanted to add in um, first house in ascendant line specifically okay, to those houses. Yeah, that. yeah, that's good yeah. to add to the houses because first house, like when planets transit through your rising sign, the first house of your chart, that's also a time of being more seen or something really important to you personally is like being shown off to the world. So also adding that one in. Yeah, I actually have an example of that too. So that was when I first launched my moon circles. I did that on, I believe it was a Gemini new moon. So the Gemini eclipse this past year? Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, that was my first house, obviously, because I'm a Gemini rising. So it was really something that I'd wanted to do for so long, but I was like fearing putting it out there. And then that gave me kind of the confidence boost or I don't know, just being like, okay, I need to do this. I'm so excited about it. It's been on my heart for so long. So Mm -hmm. yeah that one's a big one yeah and just like um looking at like influencers on social media this past month like who's launched stuff I have noticed people who have been making like announcements about like certain business ventures or like are turning over like a significant um new leaf in their career and like announcing something about it are um Capricorn and Cancer Risings because there's been all these Capricorn transits going on and also yeah. the Cancer full moon um, happened activating their first house. Mm, that's so interesting. And that's such a good, if you're listening and you wanted to look at this in charts, it makes sense to look at who you're following. If you know there's some moon rising, even it can be helpful. A fun experiment. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm obsessed with tracking down people on, so I'm obsessed with tracking down people on social media's charts because it's not like publicly <laughs> known. So you'll have to like do some deep digging, but it helps <laughs> understanding why people are big on social media at certain points and aren't on at others. Ooh, yeah. And you can kind of anticipate when that is. So mm-hmm. actually going back to this question then, so 9th, 10th, 11th, and 1st, we identified. And then in terms of different things, it might be a new or a full moon. It might be a Jupiter transit, a Mars transit. Alice, do you want to talk more about Mars? Yeah. So I wanted to differentiate between like eclipses and new and full moons. Like I feel like when a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse takes place in like one of these houses or the midheaven um, or the ascendant, it's often something a little bit more major. So like publishing a book, that would be something that's huge rather than just like, oh, I made a blog post and this is the first one I've done in a while. I'm launching it and like showing you guys like publishing a book would probably fall into like eclipse category rather than like new moon category just because it's like more life changing and more major to the person. Um, Whereas same with Jupiter, like a longer Jupiter transit that would bring in like more major opportunities to like really present your work to the world. Um, Whereas something like new moon, full moon or a Mars transit, like that is more, I don't know, 
minor, but like not in a bad way. It's just like, okay, this is, um, this is just something I've been working on recently. Like I don't, just going back, I feel like we're so repetitive a newsletter example, but like this is my newsletter. <laughs> like I'm launching a newsletter. Like that's something a little more um, on a smaller scale. Mm, yeah. And when I'm hearing you say that, I think to differentiate it, I would also add for me at least new and full moons can be really important if it stresses a certain point in your birth chart that's sensitive or powerful for example the midheaven or something you know and it might not be that it is really widely known to a ton of people how important it is but maybe you feel like it shifted Mm -hmm. something within you if it's a new or a full moon versus an eclipse like not a lot of people may have noticed that i like you know i don't know what to to add an example that we said at the beginning, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> but I was just thinking with my birth chart guides, I've been wanting to do that for so long. And to me being able to launch that, even though it's a new moon, I don't think it was less significant. I think it was just not seen as much as a eclipse or Jupiter. Okay. That's a good point to make. And like, same with Mars. Mars is more like getting the motivation and energy to do something. So it's also um, about like, I don't know, kind of like launching like that active element of like launching something out into the world. So I do see like when Mars crosses over the ascend- ascendant line or the, like the midheaven specifically, um, there's something that the person's been working on for a few weeks that they finally like launch out into the world. Like when we launched this podcast last January of 2021, Mars was exactly on my midheaven line. So that was <laughs> like a literal, literal here is a podcast I've been working on for the last two months. Yeah. Yeah. More than that even. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, that's a good example. Okay. So yeah. So hopefully that helps a little bit with that question for sure. Um, Okay. The next question, getting to the end here, what are the best aspects to take into consideration when choosing a wedding date? Okay. This is a fun one because Maxine and I have both been thinking about this, even though (laughs) I'm I'm not engaged and she is. (laughs) (laughs) it's fun though it's fun to look at your chart for sure and um yeah and wedding dates are so much fun to look for Alice and I always talk about I don't know it's just so much fun to look at what the most ideal day is to celebrate your love right because you want to make sure that it has good energy to it and I don't know just knowing astrology that is not something I would take like any Mm -hmm. date for yeah yeah and like a wedding date like I is like, leave it to chance. Exactly. And like a wedding date is such a major life event. Um, so kind of going back to transits, we just talked about like eclipse, especially if it's in like your sun or your rising sign, that is so, um, important to like sense of self and like entering into a new chapter of your life, like getting married and also having more attention on you because you're getting married. So often eclipses are taking place close to when, um, a couple decides to get married. Yeah, such a funny example of that, actually. So I'm going to a wedding and Nick is the groomsman in it, but he's a Virgo rising, Virgo sun, and he just by chance is getting married on the April 30th eclipse. Yeah. Seventh. No, what house is that for him? Virgo, it's um, ninth. We talked about this. Yeah, ninth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, oh, I was going to say his Pisces, he has Saturn there. And Jupiter's there as well. So it's just kind of cool to see. 
Yeah, so that that's another point. It's like the eclipse isn't affecting him so much. I think you meant to say like Jupiter transit would, is affecting him probably the most strongly there. And that's another yeah. good point to look at when choosing a wedding date is often there's like a major Jupiter transit, like Jupiter passing over your sun or your moon or through your first house or your seventh house, like activating a lot of planets. Because like Jupiter mm-hmm. just brings this sense of like optimism and happiness. And that's usually the emotions well, in most cases, present on a wedding yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, Alice, for helping me out there. I was like, there was something. Yeah, I was like, that's I not it. About- <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but yeah, so basically, going back to like categories, saying them out. Yeah, so like eclipses in people's like major signs, usually like big three. Um, also, Jupiter activating like big replacements in the chart like sun moon rising or often jupiter going through the first or the seventh house well first house is the same as the rising um so like that guy you were just talking about pisces is his seventh house and he has all these virgo planets in the first house so all his virgo his like virgo sun and other virgo planets and his pisces seventh house are both getting activated at the same time by jupiter when he gets married exactly so he has like tons of oppositions basically to that jupiter transit in the seventh house traditionally associated with marriage yeah so those are like i feel like jupiter and the eclipses are the more major transits to look out for with marriage and then also if we're looking at like more minor things like where's the moon on a specific day um where's the sun like the sun is usually best if it's in like a visible part of the chart so again like the rising sign the moving over the ascendant would be great or also in the seventh house or maybe on the mid heaven line like i know um i had a friend from high school get married this summer um right after a new moon in cancer and she's libra rising and a cancer sun but cancer is also her 10th house so when she got married like there was that new moon right on in her 10th house like the most public part of the chart beautiful yeah yeah and also too we wanted to mention in terms of the moon maybe choosing a moon a waxing moon because that can just kind of signify just as the moon is growing from new moon to full moon in that two-week phase it also signifies like the relationship is kind of growing um there are exceptions to all of these though so like if you're getting married on a waning moon you're fine (laughs) yeah like the world's not gonna end but like if it was me personally I'd be more particular about it and I would probably choose a moon closer to a full moon phase like not like right at the new moon but like give it a week or two and because full moon is a lot about like activity and connecting with other people and I just feel like that's a great energy to like have people coming together for your wedding yeah no I so agree and I think another really cool thing to play into this is if you know your um when you're looking at synastry between you and your partner that can give you some hints too or if you're looking at your like other there's a lot of other things I could get into but yeah yeah like transits to the composite chart if you're just yeah looking at I was that. gonna bring that up yeah but that's a lot that's like another episode <laughs> I feel like we should do like a whole episode on composite chart Yes, I would love that. Okay, let us know if you want that. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so Um, last question, right? Last one. Yes, last question. Okay, so this person asked, um, what are the most common newbie mistakes people make when interpreting birth charts and transits? I love this question because I definitely made a ton of mistakes when I first started out. And it's also, I noticed like when people first start learning astrology, there tends to be like, um, most noticeably I see people fixating a lot on the negative parts of their chart or like the parts they consider to be the most 
challenging and they can't get past that. And it like, it just creates this like fear mentality. Um, instead of seeing like, Oh, I also have this like really great, um, Jupiter placement or like, I have these strengths there. It's more about like, Oh my God, I'm doomed because I have Saturn and this chart and Chiron here and Pluto here. Um, so I see that a lot. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And I think a lot of people, when you first get into astrology, it's so powerful and wild how, you know, you're reading a book or you're you're getting a reading and you're asking about these placements that are trickier in your chart. I think it's important to know about it. And it's so beautiful because you feel so seen like, oh yeah, that is totally my area of challenge, right? But there are, like Alice, you're saying, so many other strengths and stuff to focus on too. So making sure there's a balance, I would say, not being overly positive, but also not being overly focused on the negative. Yeah, exactly. And also not like, um, not like passing that, if you're reading a chart for someone else, not just yourself, not passing that like, overly positive or overly like overly positive isn't relatable when you're talking to a client it's like well my life isn't that happy all the time but then overly (laughs) negative might produce fear in the client and leave them being like oh my god this astrologer said I'd never find love because I have Saturn in the seventh and it's just like um just finding a happy medium where you're just like incorporating realistic parts of their chart and showing them how to work with certain challenges And can we pause here for a second too? Because I feel like so many people, they feel this sense, like I've had so many clients come to me saying that some astrologer has told them really negative things. And, you know, it's, it's so wild because we already hyper-focus on the negative parts in our, in our lives. Like I know my, I myself, I always focus on those things that I feel like I'm not doing well enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think astrology can be beautiful when you use it in a really intentional way and make sure that you are focusing on those things that that person is doing well too, or that person has a gift or strength for it. Like so important because we already know what we're doing wrong. Like Exactly. You know? Yeah. You put that perfectly. Um, another thing I notice a lot is like, um, or not a lot, I don't notice this a lot, but just assuming like one interpretation fits everyone. That could be something a newbie encounters. Like mm. like seeing how um, Pluto in a certain, ho- let's say like Pluto in the first house, like a, one person has that personality with Pluto in the first house. So that must be the same personality for the other person's chart that they're looking at who also has Pluto in the first Ooh, house. Yeah. yeah, I definitely... I feel like lean toward that when I was first starting out. I was like, oh, I know someone who has this in that house, whatever, that aspect to Pluto. And it's definitely something you learn over time, looking at hundreds and thousands of charts and reading for people. So I think it does come with time, but just knowing going into reading charts that if you've noticed one person has this pattern, don't assume everyone has that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also... um, I made this mistake when I was starting out, but like feeling like you have to have all the answers to every single question, astrology question, someone comes in asking you, like, for example, I don't really use like, um, smaller aspects in my practice. So I won't focus on YODs or kites or not even like T square. Honestly, I don't really like I just focus on like the main aspects and someone asked me like, I really need you to tell me what this YOD means in my chart. And I like, 
I just am not familiar enough with like what a YOD means to give a solid answer on that. But I felt like I had to give an answer when I really didn't. So just knowing you can always say like, I don't do that. Or I I honestly don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, like I, you know, that's a really great question. I don't know, but I, I'd love to look into it and get back to you if you are learning and you are curious and you want to know. Yeah. But yeah, just not spreading yourself too thin and not feeling like you have to know everything because astrology is such a huge field. You will never know everything about astrology. So that's another thing too is I feel like sometimes people starting out learning astrology think they have to know everything and you really don't. You just have to narrow it down and feel confident in that. So maybe you start learning birth charts or you start just learning about career and aspects for that, you know, like starting small, Mm -hmm. I think can be really helpful. Yeah, that was our final question, but perfectly then to just like an announcement we wanted to make about our courses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a shameless plug here. So if you are a newbie to astrology or you actually even are an astrologer already or whatever, and you just either want more confidence reading birth charts or learning about transits from us, we have two really, really awesome 10 plus hour courses for you. Yes, and we are doing a live like on March 6th where we yes, answer. so excited. Yeah, so if you're getting the course before then and you're, you have some questions that come up, like I don't fully understand what this was about, then we will be hosting a, lo- a Zoom like call on March 6th where you can come with any questions and we'll answer all those. Yeah, so I'm so excited for that. So if you don't know our two courses, the first one is Mastering Birth Charts going deep into that, really, really getting you a lot of confidence there. And then applying transits is the next one, which is applying transits, learning all about that. Yeah. So that's kind of like a more intermediate. It's like, okay, I know my birth chart. How do I start predicting events with astrology and figuring out what's to come or where I am right now? Yeah. So they're all go at your own pace. And if you want to join us for the live March 6th, you can sign up before then so you can make it to the live and ask us your questions. Yes. Okay. Okay. I think that was everything. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening. We're happy you you made it through. Yeah, I'm just so happy to be um posting podcast episodes more regularly. So Same. we'll see you guys next Monday. Yeah, see you next Monday. Yeah, 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 yeah.